It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. You are Locked On Raptors, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hey, how's it going? Welcome to episode number 512 of Locked On Raptors for Wednesday, Tuesday. I think it's Tuesday, May 14th. I'm your host, Sean Woodley of RaptorsHQ.com. You can find me on Twitter, as always, at Woodley Sean. Find the show at Locked On Raptors. You can find links to every single episode of the podcast. And, of course, make sure you're checking out the Locked On Podcast Network team-focused shows for all 30 NBA teams. There's Locked On Fantasy with Josh Lloyd, Locked On NBA with a bunch of different hosts chipping in there to make that a daily show. Weekly contributions from Ben Golliver. Ben Golliver was on with David, I believe, to do a big series preview. Might have not have been David. It might have been Jake or John or someone else. But make sure you're checking it out either way because Ben Golliver is cool. And uh, he got that all covered for you on the Lockdown NBA channel. Uh, if you're interested in the Bucks side of things, I'm sure myself, Eric Name, and Frank Madden will have a podcast at some point over the course of this series. Um, so uh, if you want to listen to the Lockdown Bucks side of things, make sure you're checking that out. Um, and uh, yeah, it, it's it, it's very much appreciated if you leave ratings and reviews and all that good stuff as well. Helps us with rankings, algorithms, and other things that I don't quite understand, but I'm told to say that you should check them out. So uh, thank you very much. If I sound like I'm uh, out of it today, I'm very much am. Uh, I, I've been a d- in a daze for two days, essentially, since that shot dropped. And uh, I, I was hesitant to get into Milwaukee Bucks series preview stuff yesterday because I just wanted to revel in the shot. And I thought the podcast we did yesterday was really cool. And I am thankful to everyone who's passed along kind words and all the people who joined me to talk about their experiences watching the shot. But now we're just about, I don't know, 54 hours away from Game 1 against the Milwaukee Bucks as we're recording this now. And I guess it's high time to start looking at that series. And joining me to do so is one of our favorite Bucks people, one of the the, the, the bastions of nice Bucks Twitter. It's Jordan Tresky of Behind the Buck Pass. How are you? I'm doing good. Thank you for the introduction. <laughs> Bucks fans are so nice. <laughs> it's... Uh... <laughs> It's I'm like genuinely like happy to be like interacting with Bucks fans again. It's uh it, it's been a couple years obviously since that series in 2017. Many many things have changed since that series as well. But it just uh you know it's you guys are are just pleasant to deal with and perhaps that'll all fall to shit as the series and the stakes are raised <laughs> in the conference finals here. But in the meantime, I'm looking forward to uh to having a good time and enjoying like the most as you put it the most polite conference finals of all time. <laughs> it is it is uh certainly primed to be that uh hopefully it holds though i who knows what the twists and turns will be over the <laughs> over the conference finals yeah i mean serge Ibaka and a lopez brother are both playing in this series so there could be punches we don't know yet um, they could get a little testy um but i guess the place i like to start when we do these series preview podcasts is I kind of want to get into how Bucks fans are feeling right now. And it's, you know, the Sixers, I think, mostly were feeling, like, Sixers fans are mostly feeling pretty uh, 
concerned about the Raptors matchup. We had Adam Aronson on from Liberty Ballers on. He expressed a lot of concern before the series. Uh, obviously, that was proven to be maybe not so founded because the Sixers almost won the damn thing. Um, but I can imagine Bucks fans right now, Jordan, are probably feeling like pretty good about their chances. Yeah, I would I would definitely agree with that. I think there is certainly the fact that the you know Raptors and Sixers went seven games mm-hmm. and. It, it was certainly hard hard fought and that game seven was just incredible obviously um i think there is a there's definitely a, a, a lot of optimism of just about like how the bucks match up with the raptors there was there's not like heading into like the celtic series especially there was kind of like the like oh they don't really like gel or it, like like a lot of the what the bucks do defensively especially um didn't really gel with how you know the Celtics usually play. They're more of like a jump shooting team. They don't really get to the paint and all that stuff. And that kind of, I, I don't. There is certainly big differences in terms of like just the talent the Raptors have. And obviously Kawhi Leonard, I mean, is worlds apart compared to Kyrie Irving. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is certain elements that I don't think scare Bucks fans as much as they potentially did against like the Celtics. Like we got like on our. Podcast one and six, we got during the Pistons series, which you know it was four games and wasn't really competitive at all. We mm. had more questions about Al Horford than the Pistons themselves. So <laughs> it just kind of it kind of encapsulated just how people are like, oh, Al Horford's going to like bury the box, but then you know he did he had a brilliant game one, but outside of that was pretty uh, pretty neutralized after that point. Yeah, did that Bucks? Sorry, that Celtics series end up being as sort of. Uh, difficult as you thought it might be. Did you come away thinking the Celtics were a real team and a real test? I know they won Game One, and like it was quite the response to come back and and win win out there and win two games in Boston on roots of winning in five games. But I, from afar, and you know, maybe this is like colored by my just deep and fundamental hatred for the Boston Celtics. But um, like I, I didn't really find the Celtics to be a real team compared to what the Raptors had to play. If there's one sort of, I guess, edge I would give the Raptors, and I'll put it out there now, I don't think I'm going to pick the Raptors to win this series. Usually I am, I do skew pretty positive, but the, the Bucks are awesome, and it's not a reverse jinx thing. I think like the Bucks should probably win this thing. But I thought the Raptors' second-round opponent, if you're like... If you're someone who subscribes to the idea that you have to be tested along the way to be ready, I feel like the Raptors were way more so than the Bucks. But maybe you you watched that series more in depth. Did you find that the Celtics were like a legitimate stern test beyond, like, or is it just a game one sort of flash in the pan thing, and it was kind of easy work after that? I I, I certainly had some kind of concerns. It, it wasn't necessarily about the team; it was about just like Horford and Kyrie Irving. You know, he's you know. For all his crazy <laughs> locker room messages and just like, what are you talking about all this stuff? <laughs> he is like the prototypical problem, like the Bucks have with like, uh, you know, crazy, crazy talented uh, point guards that can, you know, really are shifty on the ball and hit shots and all that stuff. But like you said, like I didn't think team wise, like they were certainly. It just felt like, uh, felt like it obviously was clear, like the pieces just didn't fit. Gordon Hayward, like everybody it felt like every three weeks during the season, like there'd be like one performance that he does really well. And everyone's like, he's back, he's back. It's like, I just didn't really see like all that coming together. Mm-hmm. And I think that bore, that obviously bore out in the series. I didn't expect it to go to five. I was kind of like bucks and six, not, you know, not to make the you know cliche joke, but <laughs> I think there was just kind of like, I knew they were going to take at least one on the road. I, I just think that 
over time, over the course of the series, that you know the Bucks' consistency, talent, uh, depth, all that stuff was going to bear out, and that obviously proved to be the case. And the Celtics, I mean, they wilted pretty quickly after you know, you know, punching them in the mouth in Game One, and kind of like scary Bucks fans and like having this kind of crisis, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, let's. <laughs> It's not really that big of a deal. <laughs> yeah, truly stunned to find that the Celtics wilted uh, after being punched back. Uh, <laughs> floored by this news. God, I'm so glad the Celtics are gone. <laughs> it's It's been such a weird couple days trying to prepare for this series as a Raptors fan. And, like, I, I, Raptors fans, I think, are just, like, barely even cognizant that the series is about to happen. <laughs> like, it's, it, you know, if Bucks fans feel, like, good about the matchup, I think Raptors fans feel, uh, like just apathetic like oh hey there's another series that's fine they already won the championship who gives a damn um <laughs> obviously you know there was a media availability today and like Kawhi Leonard said all the things about how he didn't even he's not he's worried about it he forgot about it the next day and blah 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 blah. that's not the same for Raptors fans because this is a monumental change and it's mm-hmm. it's you know and from the entire narrative of the Raptors franchise it's it's just completely completely different so it's been a weird couple days to sort of digest the decided like non-raptorsness of it all and it's been a, a challenge to look ahead to the bucks but now that it's upon us um let me ask you what is sort of the biggest question you have about how this series is going to play out heading into it is there something that you're fascinated to see like what each coach is going to line up with to start is there something that is particularly interesting to you as like a, an x's and o's thing going into this series that you're sort of wondering about i think there's it's kind of like two parts like there's one part with especially more towards the buck side the series really shifted against the celtics where they kind of they totally not totally but they game two they go to the switching defense and it totally flummoxes boston and you have Kyrie irving i'm gonna forget the real like the numbers from game two onwards but just shot miserably mm-hmm. they they just contested everything they were just everywhere it was like this controlled can it was like <laughs> not to bring up Jason Kidd, you know, Lakers assistant coach and future head coach, of course. Um, he, like, it was basically, like, that, like, crazy defense, like, that he, you know, always prized when he was the Bucks head coach. But it was just controlled. It was, like, <laughs> sensible. It was all this stuff. It was, like, controlled chaos and just, it it really just didn't, it disrupted the Celtics offense in mm-hmm. every which way we lose. Um, so I think from that standpoint, I think the Raptors... They do the Bucks dare to go back to what you know the method that they were going throughout the regular season and you know the first round because it you know they were the best defense in terms of uh, defensive efficiency throughout the regular season. Um, I think we'll see a little bit of both and maybe maybe not as like yeah probably a fifty fifty split over the course of the series. And then I think for the Raptors, I'm just kind of Kawhi is just amazing. He's literally I think. I, I mean, if there is a per, if there is a player that can kind of disrupt Giannis or limit Giannis in terms of like a the you know cliche kind of one on one matchup, it's certainly him because he's just you know can get a shot. He plays the defense incredibly, all this stuff. I'm just kind of worried about or worried. I'm kind of wondering about what is who's that second banana or kind of you know second person that mm-hmm. kind of supplements his. Uh, uh, scoring or you know contributions that it's not just kind of like one sided if, if that makes any sense because like Siakam was the guy that I was kind of freaking out about 
heading towards the end of the season because you see all these you know these great games he's putting up like 44 points all this stuff he looks like what like Giannis a couple years ago Mm -hmm. and then obviously the Sixers series it's you know tough series it wasn't it's they kind of had like the size to neutralize him and I think was it game two or game three he was questionable or doubtful or something like that game four yeah game four that's right yeah um maybe that was some kind of you know (laughs) gamesmanship on Nick Nurse's part but I think he kind of there's just something about what he can do and that doesn't necessarily kind of fit or counter or the Bucks don't really have an answer for Mm -hmm. in my mind at least but I don't know I, I think it's I think it's I don't know I, I don't know how to feel about that part because it's just you look at him and then Lowry is really obviously just the stable presence but obviously he has some ups and downs in the playoffs like you know any other player really mm-hmm. but it's I think that's kind of my big question for the Raptors at least the NBA playoffs are right around the corner and locked on NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yeah, the the second banana thing is going to be important, obviously, and that kind of fell apart. Like, the Siakam sort of, as the secondary scorer, fell apart against the, the Sixers a little bit because I think, you know, I think he was a little bit slowed down by the calf injury, but I think mostly it was that Joel Embiid really, really kind of screwed with him when they made that switch to have him guard him. And, like, I, I love Brooke Lopez and all, but there's no Joel Embiid on... The, on the Bucks, and if the Bucks are going to use Giannis to guard Siakam, which I'm not sure they'll do, maybe we can get into how they'll match up. Um, like, like unless they're going to do that, I'm not, I don't see someone who can really sort of punish Siakam. And I think Siakam did a good job when he had opportunities to, you know, punish Tobias Harris or JJ Redick or whoever to sort of take advantage of those minutes or, or those possessions where he had sort of a lesser dude on him. And I, so I, I think it's going to be a, a sort of a rebound series from Siakam, and like. You say it's a rebound. I mean, he still averaged like nineteen six and two yeah. in, in the yeah. in the second round in like a really disgusting, sludgy, nasty series. He didn't shoot particularly well from three. Uh, he yeah, he only hit threes in three of the games, and you know had a couple offers and stuff like that. But his defense is really good, and that sort of raises the floor. That's the entire thing for the Raptors, right? Is even if the offense is not there, the defense tends to raise the floor. And they like the way they play defense, the way Siakam in particular played defense late in Game Seven, kind of speaks to if there's reason for optimism for the Raptors, it's that their half court defense can be so so smothering, and he's a big part of that. So I don't think he's going to be rendered like useless in the series or anything like that. Um, but I do think he'll kind of find a return to form with his true shooting and stuff like that after uh, a pretty rough finish to to the series against the Sixers. Um, and so how the Bucks come up with an answer for him I think is going to be fascinating. Honestly, I'm just kind of fascinated about how the Bucks across the board line up because I, I think it's... The, the thing about the Sixers series that, I, that always gave me confidence was that there were always two guys on the floor who the Raptors were going to be able to punish... And I kind of think that's the case here. Eric Name actually just reporting now that uh, that Nikola Mirotic is going to start Game One. Um, so I guess that'll mean it's it's Bledsoe, Middleton, Mirotic, uh, Giannis, and Lopez. Correct? Is that kind of what they've been rolling with? Yeah, yeah. That, that was from Game Two onwards. Yeah. Okay. Right. So 
how the the Bucks use that and that kind of big lineup configuration is that kind of kind of interesting actually. And I, I I don't know what do you expect to be sort of the the initial way that the Bucks line up. Obviously, this will change over the course of the series as adjustments are made and whatnot. But uh, how would you expect the Bucks will line up? Um, how do they how do they use Giannis defensively in particular? I mean that's the big question because a lot of the times he's been more of his his greatest strength defensively is just kind of playing free safety is more and you know acting as like a help defender and uh, you know disrupting that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were there was more times we saw uh, uh, you know I don't want to keep going back to the last series but that was him going against Al Horford. There was definitely as it went on Horford just didn't have many tricks in his bag that could really you know kind of push off Giannis in terms of uh, limiting him defensively. So I think I think that's going to be the the big question. I think Zach Lowe said something about it too. And I haven't listened to his latest, latest podcast with uh, Chris Herring, but I'm sure that was obviously a big you know, question about like who does he really go on. It's Siakam obviously looks like a, a logical fit, but that could always change over the course of the series too. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, I don't know. And two, like it's it's really weird. I, I'm not saying this will hold up in the series, but like Miritich, like. It was kind of crazy to see him. I've always thought he was kind of like this okay defender. He's obviously not like athletic or anything like that, but like he was like kind of he was he was definitely better defensively than offensively. He you know was more inconsistent shooting the ball, but like his defensive rating was like like the third highest was like ninety five something, mm-hmm. like some crazy uh, uh, number. But like he was like flying in and switching really well and going for like you know rebounds, loose balls, all this stuff. So it's like oh like I didn't really kind of. It's just really seeing that from him, but uh, yeah, I think definitely what where Giannis goes on in terms of you know playing defense and or matchups or whatever whatever uh, Bud and his staff kind of draw up. I think that's kind of the big question of where they go. Yeah, because I guess Giannis guarding Siakam. If there's a guy that you can help off with the Raptors, it might be Siakam. He hasn't been super willing to take those threes that the Sixers were giving him pretty liberally in the last round, and, and I think. He was kind of just thrown off entirely by the change to have Embiid guard him, and it took him a long time to sort of get comfortable with that. And so maybe that's the argument there. If you want Giannis to be your free safety and have him be able to help and sort of be a weak, a weak side guy um, to sort of just come over and, and swarm whoever's going towards the basket, that might be the guy. But it's... you're I guess you're leaving yourself open to, like, other areas to be, like, hit. I mean... I, I don't know how you feel about Brooke Lopez defensively and how he's going to stack up in this series. I think Marcus Gasol, while I think he was initially traded pretty much just for the Joel Embiid matchup, I, I think the the Lopez matchup's interesting as well because obviously Lopez has had a ton of success this year defensively and like I, I guess has almost flirted with like all defense center numbers really like the way he's played as the drop back big. I wonder if the Bucks are going to sort of take the same approach that the Raptors did and just have like Gasol hang out at the perimeter and just dare him to shoot because Gasol does not want to shoot and it's become painfully obvious and it makes me want to poke my eyes out when he doesn't want to shoot but um like I I wonder if they'll just sort of bank on Gasol's just like disagreeability with the idea of him taking a lot of shots and and just and just have Lopez continue to hang back um that's an interesting little nugget to me do you think it's Middleton on Kawhi like that feels like the obvious one right yeah, yeah. I, I definitely see that, at least initially. Mm-hmm. And to go back to your Gasol point, like, that's that was kind of like this. I, I didn't want to touch it because I, I, I'm not sure how, like, Raptors fans feel about it, but, like, 
that's kind of I think we talked about like what I've been on before like Bucks in Kid Boonholzer they they asked Serge Ibaka to shoot all the shots no matter mm-hmm. what it was and I think they are definitely going to do that with Gasol because I mean I didn't I didn't watch all the series uh, the Raptors Sixers series like you know to the d- detail like you did but like it was <laughs> painfully obvious just like shoot the ball Mark what mm-hmm. are you doing like it was, it was even from my perspective it's like oh this is like really cringeworthy to watch um, but so yeah I, I definitely think they're gonna see what he can do and he's obviously capable of doing so but I, I just I think that is something that the Bucks will be more than happy with mm-hmm. uh, to start the series yeah it's kind of interesting I'm sort of just drawing out what I think the matchups will be just here at my notepad and I kind of think both teams are going to line up sort of the same way and be okay with that. We're not, I don't think we're going to have to worry about the like, – neither team's going to have to worry about the cross-matching that I think was really prevalent in the in the Raptors-Sixers series, which was just like all over the place because it was just kooky and weird and like Ben Simmons being a six foot ten point guard throws everything out of whack. Um, mm-hmm. Like I think Lowry's going to guard Bledsoe and vice versa. I think Green and Miritich probably is the thing that they start with as well going both ways. Um, and then I think Kawhi Middleton, like, here's my thing with Kawhi. I know people will point to the fact that he's the best defender and you should have him guard Giannis. I've talked about this. We may have talked about this when you've been on in the past. I don't know if it's the best use of Kawhi to have him guard Giannis because Giannis is pretty much unguardable to me. And it feels like maybe your best bet is to try to cut off the second dude. And Kawhi did a really good job cutting off the second dude with the Sixers. You know, Butler had his moments in the series, but pretty much any time Kawhi was on him, those moments went away. And that that was sort of the, the story of the series, is that the, the Raptors could just kind of press the switch and say, all right, Kawhi, like, Butler's killing us, just go guard him and then shut him down. And that, that happened. And Middleton, I think, is kind of a similar sort of piece of meat for Kawhi. <laughs> like, you know, like, I think he can kind of do the same things to, to slow Middleton down. And, you know, Middleton's a very good defender in his own right, and I think him on Kawhi is going to be a really interesting matchup uh, from the Bucks side of things. But I think using Kawhi to sort of take out the second guy in the offense is going to be really important. And I think the Raptors are going to be pretty happy to switch pretty much across the board here too. Um, you know, I guess they'll try to avoid Gasol switching on to Giannis if they can. Or, I mean, centers guard Giannis. That's the thing. Like, maybe they'll be fine with that too. Outside of Lowry guarding Giannis, I think pretty much every matchup is kind of okay for them, I guess. Um, and so I think we'll see that quite a bit. And they did that really, really to great effect in the late part of that Sixers series in Game 7. Uh, they just switched everything, and they were able to do it across positions. Um, so I'm guessing Siakam gets the early job on Giannis. And it hasn't been like super great for Siakam guarding Giannis this season or over their careers. Um, I think Giannis is a little too strong, and Siakam is a little bit too sort of prone to being pushed out of the way for that to be, uh, you know, a super successful matchup. But it kind of feels like with Giannis, you're dealing with the same sort of riddle that LeBron used to pose. And it's, you know, do you just let him kind of get his own, or do you try to send extra help his way and then just pray that the shooters don't kill you? And the way the Bucks shooters have been shooting in this series, it's uh, in, the, in these playoffs and all season, I mean, it kind of feels like, to me, you want to just sort of play one-on-one with Giannis as best you can. And Siakam feels like he might have the best chance to do that, might have the best chance to sort of cut him off in transition because he's so fast, and maybe can also make Giannis work on the other end if, they're, if they are going to have Giannis guard him um, as his primary check. And so I'm guessing that's where they go. This is where the Raptors are really going to miss OG Ananobi. 
you know, not yeah. no yeah. one no one really but, guards uh, like Giannis well. Like I said, he's kind of unguardable, but OG's done like a surprisingly good job. He's really goddamn strong, and I, I think that's been uh, like a thing that has, he's kind of used to his to his advantage against Giannis a little bit in the past. He, like obviously. The, the matchup numbers are never going to favor the guy guarding Giannis, but I do think OG would be a nice little I mean, option here to throw against Giannis. And then I guess the other thing, too, that I'm curious about is how much they go with the super big lineup that they used in the Sixers series near the end that kind of won them the game. You know, they, they benched Danny Green for the last, you know, quarter and a half of Game 7, had Ibaka play pretty much the entire time, and the Ibaka-Gasol front court worked pretty well together, and it seems like they have a pretty good simpatico considering all of their time playing together with Spain, and, and they were really good on the glass, um, and they kind of won Game 7 because of the, the, the battle on the glass. I mean, the Raptors had 24 more shot attempts in that game because those two were on the floor, and just grabbing the boards and cleaning it up and sort of milking those extra possessions for the Raptors to sort of salvage a really, really bad shooting night. Um... So I, that, that's another one, too, is like maybe Ibaka gets some run on him. That's been a thing they've done, I think, a little bit in the past. But then if Ibaka plays, that opens up sort of the, the can of worms of like how the Bucks approach defending the Raptors. And the, the big thing that happened all season was Ibaka had some great numbers against Milwaukee at like 22 and a half points a game. There was a couple, I think he had 30 in one game. The first two, the first two matchups in particular, I think he was really, really good. Um, and, you know, it's hard to really judge any of these matchups because they were so... The, the teams were so different. Giannis only played three. I think Kawhi played two or three. Um, Gasol played in none of them. Lowry missed one of them. Like It was a very sort of strange regular season series to try to evaluate for uh, like pro- projecting towards the playoff purposes. But if Ibaka plays, I wonder if like we see the, the, the constant sort of funneling of shots to Ibaka. And if that's the, sort of the strategy that it's like, all right, if Ibaka's going to beat us with 1,018-footers, then that's fine. Um, it, it's I don't know. What else? What else are you kind of looking at here with the matchup stuff? Is there like a a matchup that scares you that the Raptors can pose towards the the, the the Bucks? Is there an area where you think the Bucks are prone to being sort of attacked? I'm not told. <laughs> that was not a good start to the sentence. I'm not so <laughs> sure about that. Um, I, to go back to your point about like defending us, I, we definitely have talked about this. I think it was probably uh, earlier in the season where like. Especially because I think OG, I might be misremembering this completely, but like I think he was making his return or something. It was a big game, regardless. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we definitely talked about like it's not about like one person; it's about this kind of select group of like players that you can just throw on him and just kind of slow him down or kind of give him different wrinkles or different options that he has to like solve and kind of be in his head a little bit more instead of like keep going back to the well and keep going back to the well and eventually he'll figure it out. I mean, that's, that's definitely what we saw with, uh, over the course of the Celtics series with Horford. Mm-hmm. Um, but without a nope and a nope, um, you know, you're kind of looking, you don't want to go to that Kawhi or Kawhi and him like right away and make that kind of move, uh, in terms of, you know, game plan for the series, like, you know, game one. Um, I don't, I don't know. That's kind of, that's definitely gonna be a big, big question for me. Obviously they have the size to kind of, uh, slow him down and maybe rough him up a little bit, especially with you know just how much he contacts he, he absorbs over the course of a season and now the playoffs. Mm-hmm. But that obviously opens up, you know, they're going to be spacing out even more, especially with Miritich in the lineup. Like it's kind of, that's kind of a weird like dichotomy is that like they both have both teams have like the size, but between like Brook and uh, Miritich and Giannis, I mean, he's not going to be 
viewed as a shooting threat by any means for you know maybe ever in his career Mm -hmm. but he's at least shown that he can knock down uh threes off the dribble like that maybe get you know once one or two in in a game and kind of like throw you off that way but like i think that's gonna be the the big question in terms of can the raptors size out or kind of live or can they live with playing so big that you know they they hinge on you know are the Bucks gonna have a good shooting night on you know over the course of the series or whatever mm-hmm. and kind of uh, slow them down that way. I think that's a that's gonna be a big kind of sneaky question with, with the series. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. A couple of things, too, um, with the way the Bucks are going to play defense. I think the Raptors are... It depends, right? If the, if the Bucks are going to switch, the Raptors, I think, are capable of taking advantage of that. Uh, they didn't really do it enough against the Sixers. I mean, there are so many times where I was just screaming at the Raptors to just, like, attack J.J. Redick and scream with his man and, and just force that matchup as much as possible because Redick could not guard a single person in that series. And it was very it was plainly obvious any time he was forced to guard in space. Um, so I'm wondering if, if the Bucks decide to switch, how sort of aggressive the Raptors will be sort of hunting those matchups and hunting the, the, the preferable matchups. Will they have Lowry screen for Kawhi to try to get Bledsoe onto Kawhi to get that height advantage? Will they try to have Gasol screen for, for Kawhi a little more often to try to get Lopez on him um, and sort of try to take advantage of Lopez maybe being a little more lumbering in the open, in the open court when he's asked to come up high? And if instead the the Bucks decide to just sort of go with their typical thing where they drop back, I do think the Raptors are kind of well equipped to take advantage of like the mid range shots that the Bucks are pretty okay with giving up. You know what I mean? Um, like mm-hmm. Ibaka, Definitely. we saw like if Ibaka gets hot, that can kill the Bucks for a game, right? Because they're okay to give up those eighteen footers to him. And Kawhi, I mean, he is like doing most of his stuff. The Michael Jordan comparisons are happening for a reason. A lot of his damage is being done in the mid-range, and if they're going to have you know Lopez drop back and be pretty conservative, I think there will be some space there for for Kawhi to sort of take advantage, especially considering Gasol is a very good screener. If he can kind of get Middleton hung up on some screens and have you know Kawhi sort of walk into that 18-foot range, that could be a place where the Raptors can get some easy points too. You know, th- there's th- there's a lot of moving parts in this series. I guess let's let's look at the benches because we've talked a lot about the starters, but the Bucks are really deep and they have a lot of dudes and they've had a lot of dudes who performed so far in these in this postseason. Who are the like the two or three bench guys that if you were a Raptors fan you would be scared of going into this series on the yeah, on the Bucks? I mean, um, I think for starters I would go George Hill just because he's been. He's, he was a good pickup right away defensively. He kind of really solidified the bench unit mm-hmm. uh, in that way. But, like, it hasn't just been the playoffs. It was – you kind of – you could see it down the, the down the stretch of the season. He was just being more aggressive. It, you know, it's opening uh, up, his, up his shot after he only shot, like, 28% from three in the season. Now he's shooting, like, 41% for the playoffs. Um, he's just been, you know, probably – I mean, he was their third leading scorer in the the Celtics series. I mean, that just shows you how like 
crucial. He outscored the, the Celtics on his own, I think, in the two road games mm-hmm. uh, in Boston. So he's just been just absolutely incredible. Uh, Brogdon, kind of obviously, you know, fits the profile of like you know X Factor, swing player, whatever you want to call it. Um, he you know returned for Game Five and didn't look rusty at all. I think he had a lot of five on five practices reportedly uh, leading up to it, and it was kind of. I think there was some question about, like, he, it seems healthy. Like, why is he playing right away? It's, you know, of course, they didn't really need to lean on him, like, <laughs> against the Celtics. Um, so, yeah, he kind of obviously, you know, fits that bill. Um, and especially just, you know, his shooting. If he's if he's hitting, uh, you know, he had a 50-49 season this year. Yeah. Uh, even before getting hurt. So that's, I mean, that kind of just says to how incredible and well-rounded he is uh, at this point in his career. Um I'm trying to think of a third. I'd probably go uh, Pat Connaughton yeah. here. He's kind of this crazy, you know, There's a, his three-point shot kind of comes and goes, but he really finished the season strong. And he, defensively, he's just, he's just kind of this crazy athlete. He recovers incredibly. He had, like, this amazing uh, Giannis-like block on, on Terry Rozier. I think it was, like, game two, and things were going well, but he just come, he flies in from the corner. Uh, to block like this three from Terry Rozier, and of course it wasn't going to go in because Terry Rozier is not that good. But anyway, <laughs> just throw that in there. Don't tell um, Terry Rozier that. Oh yeah, I mean, yeah, that's a whatever. I, I was just about to go on, like this tangent. Like I'm like looking at what he was saying. I was like, what? What's going on here? Am I like living on Earth or whatever? I don't know. Anyway, um, he's he's really he's taking the place of Sterling Brown in terms of like that kind of third or fourth wing that the Bucks would go to whether off the bench or playing with playing or going with him like alongside the starters and all that all that stuff and he's been really key not just playoffs but like when the Bucks would go to their switching uh, defense there was like a game against the Charlotte Hornets it was absolutely miserable for three quarters they go they play all switching and it just like was like this revelation and it was like this crazy fourth quarter comeback that just kind of was you know what are the I you wouldn't call it like a signature win, but it just kind of showed you, oh okay, they have they have that under their you know tool belt to see, and eventually you know obviously we've seen it in the pl- uh, playoffs so far. Mm-hmm. So I think those three, and I, I do want to shout out Ursad. I know I'm going against the question, but Ursad Ilyasova for all his flack, he takes charges to a ridiculous degree. He can't <laughs> really move his feet all that well, <laughs> but he somehow like every year he just there's just something he. He contributes, finds little ways to be uh, effective, and you know who knows. I think he has the highest defensive rating of any Bucks player in the postseason, which you know is kind of <laughs> there's Giannis, there's like all this crazy stuff, and then Ursa just like, hey, I'm like waving his hands, like I'm right here, guys. <laughs> Uh yeah, Urson. Personally, I would like Urson to play. Uh, I'm down with that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't blame you. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I guess. Man, looking at the depth of, of the guards on this team, it really brings to light. Like, Fred Van Vliet and Norm Powell have to, like, stop sucking. It really, really is incumbent upon them Van to, Vliet, like... especially, just, like, yeah. looking at what he's done, it's like, oh, man. And, like, I think this series should be better for both of them. I mean, Fred was not great against the Magic. He was obviously, like, borderline unplayable for most of the game, or most of the series against the Sixers. He had 
four points in game seven, all on free throws. And it was, you know, I thought he was like effective, I guess. And the Raptors played okay when he was out there, but I was never comfortable with Fred Van Vliet on the court. I thought they did a good job later in the series of just like not having him like control the ball anymore. Like it was just like he could hang it off the ball while Kawhi is the point guard essentially when he's out there. But um, I, I, I do think there'll be a little bit more breathing room for both Fred and Norm in this series. I think the Raptors are going to be able to play their two point guard lineup a little bit more often as well. Just because while the Bucks are big and long, they're not Sixers big and long, right? So I think we'll be able to see mm-hmm. those Fred and, and Lowry back, you know, backcourts a little bit more often. And it's like it's going to be incumbent upon them to be good. Otherwise, the Raps I think are going to have to kind of skew big in this series. I mean, Danny Green was rough against the Sixers too, um, and if that continues, that's you know probably game over for the Raptors. But you know, if if those struggles continue and they're down to six guys, like they're going to have to roll like I think the big lineup with Siakam at the three a lot more. And, and you know, in, in fairness, I think that matches up pretty well with the Miritich at the three lineup. And, and I think the Raptors mm-hmm. can take advantage Definitely. of that a little bit. But it's uh, it's not ideal if the Raptors only have six guys playing well in this series. Like they're going to need more than just six guys because the Bucks have way more than six guys who are going to be able to sort of put their imprint on the series. I'm curious how the starting matchup, starting lineup, like matchup numbers end up going. The Raptors starters have been so so good all year, um, and the Bucks starters with Sterling Brown are really good, but with Nikola Mirotic, a little less good. 39 minutes uh, for that lineup, uh, 107 offensive rating, 108.1 defensive rating, so a negative 1.2 net rating overall. I wonder how long the Bucks stick with that lineup if it's not working against the Raptors, because I do think there's some spots there where that you know that can kind of be picked apart if you, especially if you're forced to have like Miritich guard Green and you're going to have him in space and you can try to run offense through him and try to force him to guard and switch on to other guys. You know, I, I think there's a lot of room for the Raptors to sort of find space against that starting lineup, but. It's when the other guys come in. It's when the Brogdons and the Hills come in. I mean, I don't want to see George Hill in a playoff series ever again, but we're stuck with having to do that because, uh, <laughs> you know, that that's the way Raptors' life goes. And it was not fun when he was on the Pacers back in 2016. Obviously not, I don't think, the same player quite to the same extent that he was in 2016 where he just completely tormented Kyle Lowry for an entire series. But, um, like, it's a lot of depth and a lot of dudes you got to worry about. Um, ultimately, as with most series, I think it'll probably come down to the top six-ish players on each team. But those minutes where you have bench guys out there, as the Sixers learned in the last series, you know, minus 12 at 2 minutes and 48 seconds without Joel Embiid on the court in Game 7, like, the minutes that your bench is out there, they can't be active, horrifying, catastrophic negatives. And the Raptors, I think, would be more prone to have that happen to them based on how guys have played. But again, I think... As much as I think the Celtics, as much as I think the Bucks are better than the Sixers, I do think the matchup sort of offers a little bit more room for breathing if you're the Raptors, and a little bit more in in, in terms of just like space to just it's not smothering all the time. It's just enormous human beings all the time on the court, and I think that is, is a nice thing to sort of you know make yourself sleep well if you're a Raptors fan at least. Um, Jordan, we had to do it. Prediction time. What do you got? I, again, I'm going to avoid, I'm not trying to make the cliche, but there's just something, even without knowing, you know, you mentioned it before, Bucks haven't played the Raptors since Gasol came in, it's, you know, Raptors roster obviously has just been kind of overhauled as the season has gone on too, mm-hmm. um, I, I just like the Bucks chances, and call me a homer, call me, I might be looking at this through Bucks colored glasses, but I think I'm going to go Bucks and six. 
Okay, yeah, I, I mean, I think I, I'm picking Bucks in seven, I think. I think it's going to be a really good series, and I don't expect it to be oh, yeah. like the Sixers-Raptors series where there's blowouts on each side. Like, I think each game is going to be pretty close, and it's going to be really... I, I, I could see it kind of devolving into the same sort of defensive slugfest that Raptors-Sixers did, because these are both very good defenses. I think these were two of the top... I mean, post post uh, deadline, I think these were two of the top three or four defenses in the league, and you know they're they're they finished both in the top six, uh, I think overall. It, top two th- in the playoffs too. Yeah, the, the top two net ratings in the playoffs. Either. Like these teams are really damn good, and there is a case to be made that whoever wins this series has a very good chance of winning the whole damn thing based on Kevin Durant's health and how the Warriors are so thin. Like it, it there's a lot of the line here, man, and it's. Now I'm getting juiced up for it, having not thought about it for two days and been reveling in the shot, just rolling around like in a bed of money. Except the, it's not money; it's it's Kawhi Leonard highlights. But uh, <laughs> it's uh, now that it's coming upon me, I'm pretty pumped for this series, man. I think it's going to be really good. And while I don't think the Raptors should be favored going in, I could see them winning it. Like I don't think that's out of the question by any means. I think it's probably like oh, a yeah. 60-40 bucks over Raptors sort of thing right now. And you know. It, uh, I'm just ready to see it get going, man. It's going to be fascinating. Lots of cool matchup stuff here. And, like, Kawhi versus Giannis. Like, that's... It's, it's like, the most... It's, like, the least hateful superstar matchup you could possibly ask for. Like, Kawhi doesn't care about anything, and Giannis is a sweetheart. But, like, it's going to be awesome. Like, seeing those guys go at it is going to be incredible. Oh, yeah. I totally agree. And it... I just... I was kind of... I, 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 I was always kind of, like, looking forward to Toronto just because, one, I think... Like you said, I think it poses more of kind of an interesting series where Sixers are just kind of like this high-variance team where they just kind of go up and down, up and down, and all this stuff. And it's also fitting, like, these are the two best teams in the NBA. I mean, they have the two best records in the regular season. Mm-hmm. It just seems right that they both kind of, you know, obviously face against each other in the in the finals to see who comes out of the East. I think they're just – there's a lot to – I was I wrote on something about it and kind of like looking back on that 2017 – series to now and it's crazy how like similarly this the two teams are and there's there's like obviously like stark differences in terms of like the best players and their playing styles all that stuff but there's a lot of similarities and like what a lot of like overlapping in terms of like roster building all this stuff and like what has changed like significantly for both teams to get to to where they are now and it's i think from that standpoint it makes for a really like just an entertaining matchup no matter what Am I correct in saying there's not a single top ten pick in this series? Maybe Bledsoe was Bledsoe the tenth pick or something? I don't know, but it's something close I think to the that. Highest, I think the highest would be Lopez, but I want to say he might have been just out of top ten. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> it's it's very very cool, and it's a testament to both teams' ability to build and stuff and all that fun, you know, wishy washy stuff, but. <laughs> Seems uh, pretty on, on lottery night too that we have a matchup that doesn't have any top ten picks. Yeah, Lopez was the top. Pick. Lopez was was the tenth pick. So oh, tenth pick. Okay. He is the highest drafted player in this series. That is insane. Uh, here's hoping for a Norm Powell uh, Milwaukee Bucks trade, Grievous Vasquez trade Memorial game. That'd be great. Norm's had himself some games against the Bucks, obviously. Um, actually, Norm starting in 2017 was what kind of solved that series. So I don't think that's, that's going true. to be the case here. <laughs> kind of different Bro, roster constructions, but they, they, that's another. Uh, that was another big uh, Thornton Bucks fan side. That, <laughs> 
the Bucks sold their pick to the Warriors for Patrick McCon, then you know, yeah, had a weird thing happen with it <laughs> with the Warriors. Yeah, uh, I'm not sure McCaw will see time in the series. If he does, that's probably not a good thing for the Raptors. But uh, <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> Again, I'm not sure if I mentioned there was uh, an update on OG and Anobi status today. He's doing some light workout stuff right now. They're going to, I guess, reevaluate him in a week and sort of determine a timeline then. So we won't see him for the first bit of the series. And the fact that it's every other day, this series is going to fly by. Um, game 7 will be scheduled for the 27th, which is uh, seems very close, really. Less than two weeks away. And so th- there might not be time for OG to get back into the series, maybe for the back end, but how rusty he'll be and how equipped he'll be to just be plopped into a conference final series, that remains to be seen. So uh, I would, if I'm a Raptors fan, go into this expecting no OG. I would expect a lot of just like it, Giannis by committee, I think, will kind of be how they go with it here um, yeah. between Siakam and Kawhi and Ibaka and Gasol and maybe Danny Green a little bit, although that seems kind of horrifying. Um, it's going to be fun, man. Jordan, thank you so much for coming on, dude. Uh, where can people find you? Where can people find your work throughout the series? Uh, thanks for having me, obviously. Um, uh, you can go to Behind the Buck Pass. That's where me and Adam McGee, we are the co-site experts. And we we put up content all, every day, all day. <laughs> and we also host uh, uh, our, our podcast, Winning Six. That's obviously we'll have uh, post-game stuff every after every game. Maybe a couple. I know we'll do another like uh, series preview and you know before it starts uh, uh, tomorrow night, so you can catch that too for more kind of a, a buck centric. And obviously we'll look at the Raptors too. Um, but yeah, that's you can find me all there and at, at Jordan Trescan on Twitter. Sounds good, man. I'm sure we'll chat again as the series goes along here. Uh, enjoy the series. Everyone, thank you for tuning in. Please subscribe, rate, review, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play. I will try my best to get a podcast out after game one on Wednesday night. It is a late start, and I'm doing radio early all week, so I might not have the time or awakenedness to be able to do that. But uh, at the very least, there'll be one out on Thursday in the late morning, early afternoon recapping game one so stay tuned for that um once again please uh yeah subscribe rate review it's very very helpful it's much appreciated and if you haven't listened yet check out yesterday's podcast where i chatted with five different people about their experience watching the Kawhi shot it was a lot of fun had some people with dogs vomiting and someone who was at the game watching the fight unfold in the next section just before it happened. Uh, someone from Spain or was in Spain who uh, was with a friend who was being very grumpy about him watching the game on his phone at 4 a.m. in Spain. Uh, very cool podcast. Make sure you check it out. It was a lot of fun. And uh, we will talk to you next time with another episode of Locked on Raptors. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.